stuff, good stuff. Good morning, good stuff, good morning. Had a great time in Thailand, and uh, now it's kind of coming back on me, the jet lag. But my message this morning is on the way of revitalization. So what an appropriate theme, and uh, I think I'll get by, I think I will get enlivened as we go through it. I was making a joke earlier, you, you don't want people to fall asleep when you're preaching, but you surely don't want to fall asleep when you're preaching. So, um, But we're in Hebrews chapter 12 today, and we're getting close to the end of it. And remember, the context of the book of Hebrews is all about the encouragement to keep going, to stay on track, and that you have so much better in Christ. So much better than the law, the prophets, the old covenant, and so much better than the world that is in great opposition and always coming against us and all the influences that it has. And it's hard sometimes. That's why the church gets together. We encourage each other. We exhort one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching, we live a different life than the typical average world person because we are following the path of a different world, a heavenly kingdom. And the Lord has called us and has made a way for us and has shown us the way, and we have to help each other along the way because it's not the world's way. And so this is why we get back into Scripture. This is the theme of Hebrews is saying, stay the course. You've got so much more. You've got hope and when we have hope, we have joy, our theme today. But this message is really about hope because uh, all these things that we've been talking about, you know, you can have, you can have some down times and it's hope that keeps you afloat. One time in China, I was trapped on the other side of a river in a village. Uh, we took a, a flimsy bamboo raft over to this village on the other side and it started to rain and the river was already pretty high it was kind of dangerous to take that raft over but then uh, we stayed a night thinking we were going to leave the next morning and it rained all night and I started to get a little bit concerned what am I going to do and the rainy season was coming and it could keep raining for days and I thought this isn't good I have to get back I've got a plane to catch later I've got people to see and things like that and uh, that next morning, sure enough, we couldn't cross the river. Our host said, I'm sorry, you, you, can't, uh, you can't leave today. So we stayed another night and uh, just thought, and it didn't rain that whole time. And still, the next morning, even though it didn't rain that night, he, he came back and said, I'm sorry, but it's still too dangerous. We can't cross here. And talk about feeling hopeless and deflated. I thought, first of all, what am I going to do here for two weeks or however long the rainy season is. And uh, I tried to encourage myself in the Lord. And, and I say when you're in a position where you're tempted to give up or feel in despair, it's very important that you don't. You resist it. And the best I could do was I, I went outside and I started to sing that little song, God can make a way when there is no other way. And I'd like to tell you, I went out there and I was boldly singing it in faith, but it was more like I was going, God can make a way <laughs> when there seems to be no way. I was, uh, anyway, I, that, it was the best I could do. 
it's better than going all, all apart to pieces and saying it's hopeless. And when I got back in, uh, they said, you want to eat something? I said, no, I'm not hungry. They said, well, you might be able to go home today after all. I was like, what? All of a sudden, there's a little spark of life. And then they said, there's a place a few kilometers up on the, on the, in the village there. We, there. We might be able to get across up there if we check it out and we could see. So now there was hope. And now suddenly I could eat. Okay, I'll eat something. And uh, hope just has a way of revitalizing you. And when you have hope, it, it's, it's a strength. It helps you go forward. So we did get out that day, I'm happy to report. But the things we're talking about, we're going to talk about three things in this chapter, in the remainder of chapter 12, that bring great hope. And it can change your weary to, wowie, we've got this. And the, the three things are going to be the coming of the Savior is, is an aspect of hope that can fuel us. And second, the new covenant over the old covenant is a reason to have hope. And third, we are receiving a kingdom. So let's look at verses 12 to 13 to begin with in chapter 12. Therefore strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated but rather be healed. This is actually a quote from Isaiah chapter 35 verses 3 to 6. Do we have that? Isaiah 35, 3 to 6. There's the quote, strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are fearful hearted, be strong, do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God, he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the dumb sing. For water shall burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Awesome scripture there. It's talking about the coming of the Messiah. And it all starts off with strengthen your hands and your feeble knees. And look what's happening here. Your God shall come. Your God is going to make everything right. The Savior is coming. He's going to make everything right. And it is also a prophecy of what the Messiah would do. The eyes of the blind open and the lame leaping for joy. And when John the Baptist was in prison... He started to have his doubts, and he said, send messengers. He sent messengers to Jesus, say, are you the one, or was I mistaken? And Jesus didn't say, oh, yeah, go tell them, yeah, I'm the one. Jesus quoted these scriptures, said, tell them what you see. The eyes of the blind are open, the deaf hear, the lame are walking. And this was the confirmation he wanted to send. You're, you're on track, John. Just... Uh, this is who I am, and this is what was prophesied. John would know that it was Scripture would confirm and help overcome any doubts. That's what Scripture does. If you're having doubts, you go to the Scripture. You see that the Scripture is not a stranger to what's going on in your life, as if something strange is happening, and you can be reconfirmed in things. But this was the hope that the Savior was coming, a prophecy of the Savior, and that's something that we can always get filled with hope about. He is coming. He's coming to right this world of all the wrongs. He's coming to rescue us from this life and take us into the next, into a glorious inheritance. But it's not just at the end in some sweet by and by time in the sky. 
But the Savior will come into your situation. There is a hope of the Savior coming into our daily walk as we look to him. That's what this is all about. Strengthen your hands and your feeble knees. Strengthen your hands is, is, what's it mean? We say we lift up hands in worship. It's a sign and call to worship. Worship, why? Because the Savior is coming and the Savior can enter into your situation. He has in the past and he will again. Worship him, prepare the way for him. And then your knees, how are your knees when you're fearful? They're knobby and knobbly and wobbly or whatever, right? That's strengthen the knees. Don't be afraid is what it's saying. Don't be afraid because you're not alone. You're not left to yourself. The Savior is coming. And the Savior is going to make the lame walk, the deaf to hear and the blind to see. And it's, again, it's for now as much as later. It will come forth in glorious fullness, manifestation at the end. But God wants to manifest himself in our lives now and in our trials now, in our situations now. But sometimes we just have to be adamant to keep worshiping and not fearing and trusting by faith that Jesus is coming into this. He's already in the situation. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. But sometimes you need to see that special coming in, that presence, that resolve, that, that help in a time of trial that you need. And notice that it says that you are to strengthen yourself. You are to make the straight paths, not ask God to do it. Uh-oh, well, this is a different thought because most of the time we're saying, God, help me do this thing. Help me get stronger. Help me to have what I need to get through this. And, and that's not wrong. God can and will and does help us in that way. But often we forfeit a lot of time because we have some say in the matter as well. God has given us say in many matters that we often just say, well, I'm just waiting on the Lord to do something. And yet it says you strengthen your your hands and you make your path straight. Well, how do I do that? Well, again, start worshiping. Instead of falling apart and complaining and, and grumbling and mumbling, start worshiping and praising God. There's power in praise and that strengthens you. That also brings in angelic help when they, they know they can tend to the word of those who are speaking the truth and, and the glorious praises of God. There's something to speaking forth praises and worshiping the Savior that's going to strengthen you, but also making straight paths. You don't know what to do. The word is a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. Psalm 119, verse 105. And in the ancient time, the lamp was not like an electric light that would shine like the headlights of your car. It was a, it was a flame. So you might not see but a few steps in front of you, but the word will always give you the light to take those next few steps, whatever it is. You might not see the whole map in front of you, but in fact, you do have the big picture. You have the big picture of where God's taken us and that all things work together for good to those who love him. These are the things that help us along the way. And if we take these steps, we're, we can strengthen ourselves. And then God comes in and he'll take up the rest but oftentimes we just wait. We don't do anything. We think, woe is me, help me, God, and keep hanging on for dear life when he's given us some, some things to help us along the way here. Can I get a witness? Yes, sir. All right. We, we don't have to be down. We don't have to be done. We can say, I'm never down. I'm never done. But we have to say it. We have to believe it. We have to receive it. We have to be in the word and take the word for what it says, and that will help us move forward. In verse uh, 14 to 17, let's move on. 
Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright, for you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. So the first thing he says is pursue peace with all people. That is, don't be like those who are persecuting you. Don't be like those, those at work who are, do, who are doing the wrong thing, who are trying to step over you, to climb the ladder over you, or your friends at school that are trying to step on you to become more... Don't do what they do. Don't do tit for tat. But pursue peace with all people. Because God has pursued peace with all, and, it's, and then it's on them. If they want to reject that peace, that's their thing. But we will pursue peace with all people rather than letting bitterness spring up. It says, don't let bitterness spring up and defile you. Bitterness is a poison. Bitterness is, is something that stops and hinders the joy and the hope and the faith in the Lord. Because what does bitterness do? It gets you inward-focused and we're uh, looking at your own hurts and how you were wronged, and it, it starts to get negative feelings towards other people where you're not pursuing peace, and then you're all self-focused, so there won't be holiness, and without holiness, no one's going to see the Lord. And what is that? that's not talking about you have a requirement of holiness for salvation, because Jesus met the requirements, and Ephesians 4.24 says, to put on the new man which was created in true righteousness and holiness. It's by faith that we are holy in our spirit, but we can be holy as we walk it out in our flesh, in our soulish realm, as we follow the Lord and pursue peace with other people and we walk in God's ways, then people will see the Lord. They'll see our holiness. That's a, that's a vision of the Lord to others. But also, we'll see the Lord. I said, Jesus is coming into your situation. How are you going to see him? Well, when you're in holiness, blessed are the pure in heart, they shall see God. Again, that's not just when he returns, but if you're pure in heart now, you're walking in holiness now, it means you're looking to something outside of yourself. You're looking to the truth, you're looking to the Lord, and you're going to see him you're, with your spiritual eyes, of course. I mean, I'm speaking spiritual truths here, right? You're getting this, right? Spiritual stuff, but you're going to see the Lord with holiness. But if you're just... Uh, you know, letting a bitter root come forth, like Esau. Esau was not looking to anything outside of himself. He traded his birthright for a morsel of food. That is the sense, sensual, sense-oriented now, and not the spirit of faith and what is to come, and knowing what is better. And sadly, many of us sometimes get distracted. We lose sight of what is better for the immediate gratification of the now. But if we can look to the Lord, if we can be more oriented towards things to come, we will be strengthened along the way. We give in to worldly influence and the immediate gratification, the temptations of our immediate desires, 
And that can weaken us spiritually when it comes time to resist the enemy, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Or to stand firm when someone's mistreating you and to say, hey, I, I'm, I'm full of the Lord. How's that going to affect me? You know, we get so bitter and offended by others if they can't see our way or they don't agree with us. And, and uh, it's, all, it's all detrimental to our spiritual walk. But if we can look past those things and say, I'm... I'm not going to look, be like Esau. I'm not going to give in to the immediate for, for a, a little thing. Give away all the glorious inheritance that I have and the help that I have, the strength from heaven that's offered to me and the chance to see the Lord through holiness, that people could see the Lord through my holiness, that I could see the Lord being pure in heart, not focusing on myself or the wrongs that someone has committed against me. There's the strength and there's the hope and that you fix your eyes on Jesus, as it said earlier in the same chapter. If you can fix your eyes on Jesus, everything comes together. And man, that's, that's something I need to remind myself of all the time. Because, yeah, we say it, fix your eyes on Jesus, but what does that really mean? It means that we're looking past the here and now. We're looking past my desires and everything and looking to a greater good and, and looking to God. So remind me, when I start to act in the flesh and when I start to say, are you looking at Jesus right now? <laughs> Hopefully I won't give you that, that need, but that's what, what we're about. We need to make that first, and that's the way to strengthen ourselves in the, the times to come. So we move on. Bitterness can spring up, but it defiles many. If you recognize anything bitter starting to brew in your brain quench it flush it out go directly to the lord don't let it fester don't let it boil don't let it brew it's a warning sign that's when you should have all the red lights going bing 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 warning danger 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 if there's any bitterness you've got to do something about it rather than let it spring up because then you have something very difficult and something that hinders your spiritual progress. And sadly, there are many bitter people in the church. I'm not talking about you guys, although I wouldn't be surprised. Everyone holds some bitterness or temptation to bitterness at times, but in, there's so much bitterness in this world, it catches like COVID. And we have to say no in the name of Jesus. We're not going to be bitter. And, you know, I have temptations to be bitter. I have to say, th that scares me. You know, that's the thing. I think if it scares you when you recognize it, you're in good shape. It's, it's those who aren't concerned, and when they just start to entertain it and allow it to well up, that's when there's going to be some troubles. God has forgiven us. God has taken more offense than any of us will ever take offense. And it's Jesus got everything upon him he deserved none of it we might not deserve what we're going through at the moment but we're not innocent we're guilty we have more deserving uh you know we don't deserve anything really and god in his mercy has saved us forgiven us loved us and carried us and so we look to jesus if i again looking to jesus i say he took it all and said father forgive them they know not what they do when he was the one who could rightly have come down from the cross and said, okay, enough of this. I'm going to show you who I am. 
And nobody could blame him or hold that against him because he was the only one that could. But he knew better, and he knew there was a spiritual joy before him. For the joy before him, he endured the cross. And that's how we endure these things, too, for the joy set before us. There's the joy theme for today, the joy set before us. Again, so now in verse... um, I'm going to move on. I was going to talk about Esau said he sought for um, things with tears. He begged, and he couldn't find any place in his heart for repentance. Let me just say that real quick. It's not that he couldn't repent, but he had no place in his heart. He would not. And what is repentance but simply a turning to the right thing, turning to God, turning away from the wrong, turning away from the now to the eternal, turning away from sin to righteousness. It's just a change in your thinking, saying, I'm wrong, God is right, and I'm going to agree with the Lord. That's repentance. And, and uh, Esau, he was upset at what he lost, but it was just being upset over the consequences. He had no place in his heart to say, I was wrong, and so he did not repent. Do we have the place in our heart to say, the world doesn't revolve around me. I don't have to have everything my way. And I'm going to turn and say, Lord, you are right. Have your way with me. That's true repentance. It doesn't mean you beat yourself up. It doesn't mean you have to cry for three days. It doesn't mean you have to lift weights and show what a spiritual superstar you are and and be uh, whipped to pay the price. You can't pay the price. You simply agree with God, and that's repentance. I agree that God paid the price. Hallelujah. Repentance can be a happy thing. I mean, it can be attended with tears. You're, you're sad because of what you've done, but it can also be joyful to say, hey, I, it's simply agreeing with God. And that gives us hope. We don't have to work ourselves up into the perfect spot, but we have hope because the Savior has come and... And all it takes is a change in our mind, in our heart. So now the next item. So that's the first. The the Savior is coming. And because of that, we can simply repent. We can understand that he's here. We can see him through holiness. He can come into our situation. We have more than the now. We don't have to give everything up for a little bit now when we have everything that is coming. So the next thing tells us what made the way for us in uh, verses 25 to 29. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. Wait a second, did I? No, 18 to 24, I'm sorry. I skipped that. 18 to 24, For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burned with fire, and to blackness and darkness and tempest. What's this? It's talking about Mount Sinai and Moses, and the sound of a trumpet, and the voice of words, so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore, for they could not endure what was commanded. And if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. All right, that was the old covenant, that was the old Mount Sinai, where the law was given. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, 
to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. This is very encouraging. This is talking about the old and the new. The old was all sense, smoke, blazes, fires, and, and death and destruction. If you came too close, if you touched that thing, you were doomed. They said, speak no more. We can't endure it to Moses. And that was all at Mount Sinai, the place of the old that brought terror. And uh, we have not come to that. We have come to something that brings glory, the new, heavenly, the, the Jerusalem. The old was all about sense. The new is spiritual. You came to the old under the law. The new you come by faith, by faith. Under the old, God was unapproachable. But the new, you're not only able to approach God, but he's attended with all. You come unto all the angels and the saints that have been made perfect. And God himself enters in and you become one with him all because of what Jesus did. It said, we came to the judge, but also, I mean, God has not stopped being the judge. And this is the amazing thing. The Mount Sinai, the Mount Sinai shaking and fierce display of judgment. That judge still is there. That judge is still righteous. That judge is still holy. But we're not just coming to the judge and it's a great thing to come to a righteous judge because he knows he has wisdom and he is righteous and we don't come to some dumb idol like I saw in Thailand in places. We come to the one who is overall, who's going to have his way, who's going to affect justice. We don't see justice now. It will be here. It's coming. And we don't have to partake in justice because if we took in the justice, we'd be dead with it. But in justice, Jesus died for us. We come to a mediator. That's the glorious news of the new covenant. We can come justly because the mediator took on all that terror and punishment that was symbolized at Mount Sinai. And he took it upon himself so that we could enter in, come unto innumerable com company of angels and saints made perfect. And his blood is the reason. His blood speaking better things than the blood of Abel. And remember, we talked about Abel in another place in Hebrews. What did the blood of Abel speak? You recall Abel was killed by his brother Cain because Abel had a more righteous sacrifice. And what did that blood speak? You know, the Lord told Cain, your brother's blood cries out to the ground to me. It was accusation. It was, look what's happened. Vindicate me. Avenge. Do something. That's the blood of Abel speaking. If that blood was speaking towards us, we'd all be doomed. But the blood of Jesus speaks a better thing than the blood of Abel. The blood of Jesus says, I have taken care of it. Not avenge, but forgive. And help. And cleanse. And secure. There's a great blessing of security. We can talk about strengthening our, our hands and our making our knees from not being, we can be secure knowing the blood of Jesus speaks better things than Abel. We know that there could be accusation. That's what Satan, the accuser, tries. Satan means accuser. Satan tries to accuse us, tries to tell us we, we, we don't deserve anything, and we just say, yeah, but the blood of Jesus has changed everything, 
has cleansed, forgiven, and all I got to do is, oh, I've just got to do everything right, and I've got to read my Bible every day, and I've got to pray longer? No. You just repent. You change your mind say, I agree with God. I agree with what the Lord says. And that's, that has a way of changing your heart. And when you simply, by faith, come to this place, not Mount Sinai, where you have to do something and make yourself ready, but you come by faith to the heavenly Jerusalem, you agree with God, it does something in your heart and changes you, in which you start to respond in a way of holiness that you never could do before. You are always trying so hard to be holy before, but now you're not worried about trying because Jesus has taken care of that, and something about agreeing with him gets into the heart and produces a faith that responds in obedience and actually makes you more holy by accident than you ever tried to be on purpose. That's a good deal. And that's the gospel, the new covenant. That's the hope. You, can't, you don't have to be banging yourself up all the time and saying, woe is me, I can never get this right. You simply go back to the blood of Jesus. You come to a judge, yes, but to a mediator. That judge, holy, wise, and just, sent a mediator, perfect in every way on our behalf. He is my righteousness. He is your righteousness. And for that, we don't have to fear that, that terrible mountain that Moses came down from. So the final verse is 25 to 29. See that you do not refuse him who spoke, who speaks, I'm sorry. Doesn't that sound a lot like what we read earlier in Hebrews chapter 2 and 3 where it says, if you, today if you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. That's the whole thing throughout Hebrews to say, don't refuse this. Don't, don't give up so great a salvation, something that God has done if they couldn't escape what was done on earth, if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he has promised, saying, yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this, yet once more, indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as of things that are made that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. So this all sounds kind of fearful. We, we just got away from Mount Sinai, right? We got to the heavenly Jerusalem, but now it's saying, don't you refuse this voice from heaven. Our God's a consuming fire. And now, wait a second, there's going to be more shaking here? <laughs> wait, but no, it just appears that way. Let's look at this for a second because this is really good news. Again, when it says, don't refuse this voice from heaven, it is just the same thing we've heard throughout the book of Hebrews. This is it, folks. This is, if you're, you stay on track, if you don't stay on this track, there's no other Savior. There's no other way. You, there's no answer for your sins. Going back to the Jewish tradition is not going to take care of your sins. To us, giving up and going back into the world is not going to resolve our issues, our problems, our eternal situation. There's only one eternal answer don't refuse him. It's Jesus. This is the message of Christmas we talked about. Go tell someone. Go tell it on the mountain. You go tell them there is an eternal solution for you. There is something here. Why is everyone, you know, Christmas is an opportune time of the year because people are thinking Christmas. Hey, do you know what Christmas is really about? 
It's not just one night. It's talking about your eternity. It's because of that one night that he came that we have an eternity to look forward to. But don't refuse him because he's the only way. Well, that doesn't sound very tolerant, brother. If there's any way we can praise God because there shouldn't, you know, why should there be any more than one way? But that's another study and we're not going to get into that. But I, I trust this group understands that. It's not being exclusive or it's not being uh, nasty. It's not saying that other people don't count in other religions. It's just saying that God has worked through history and has provided a way. When we see all the other ways, they all came up through different people, different prescriptions, different methods that weren't God prescribed. This is why the Bibles record the history of God's dealing with mankind, and there was no answer for sin except through the sacrifice of Jesus. And that's why Christmas is a big deal, because he sent an answer. But man, from the beginning, has turned away, turned to his own ways, and that includes coming up with different religious answers. Well, we don't want to deal with Jesus. We'll deal with Buddha and Nirvana, and uh, we'll see how we can do with this. Fine, go ahead. You, you're free. But I, that's not going to work the way God did it through Moses and through the prophets all the way up to the coming of Jesus and, and to the return that is eminent, that is coming again. So it says, don't refuse, and yet once more I shake not only the earth. This comes from a quote in Haggai 2, verse 6 to 9. It says, for thus says the Lord of hosts, once more it is a little while I will shake heaven and earth, the sea and dry land, and I will shake all nations, and they shall come to the desire of all nations, and I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. A good word for our, our economy today. The glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, says the Lord of hosts. This was an encouraging statement. This was after the Babylonian exile uh, that they were, the Israelites were being encouraged to rebuild the temple. And he was saying that the, you're going to rebuild the temple and there's going to be a greater glory because of this after all that you've gone through. And the same thing can encourage us. There's a greater glory coming after the shaking. And right now the world is shaking and some of us might be shaking. Strengthen those feeble knees, right? Our knees, are they shaking? We can, we've got a word to, to make straight the path so that we don't become lame and dislocated. We can understand that shaking has to occur so that the things that can't be shaken shall remain. There's going to be shaking all over in bank accounts and in jobs and in all kinds of wars and things going on in the world. It's all happening right now and it's going to continue shaking. But the things that are going to be remained are the things that are foundational to the faith and to the shed blood of Jesus Christ. I've read that earthquakes will shake everything, but they can't shake a foundation, a good, solid foundation. An earthquake is not going to be able to move that. You need a good, solid foundation in the truth, in the word, and in the experience and knowledge of God's love. That is the foundation. If you don't have that grace, that love, the grace of the new covenant, the heavenly Jerusalem, not Mount Sinai, 
but the agreement that God does love you in spite of all your imperfections, that God does love you in spite of all the mistakes and failures, and in spite of all appearances, the word says that he died for us and he rose again, and the same power that raised Jesus, Jesus from the dead is working for us in our lives, Ephesians chapter 1. So we have a foundation that we can remain fastened in, it's like the roller coaster. You got that safety belt as you're going around all these wacky curves. I saw such a funny meme. I, I, I don't know. It was a picture of somebody laughing in a roller coaster, and their kid was like, ah! And, then, and the pick person just smiling and laughing was like, this is how the Lord looks. At, he knows you're going to get through it safe, but the kid is like, ah! But he's safe. He's under the safety bars. I, I wish I had a picture of that, but... It was funny. But faith is what will keep you safe. Faith will, if you can keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, you don't have to be taken away with the rest of the shaking. And the good news is that this is a present tense thing. It says, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken. Again, Jesus is coming, but he will come into your situation now. The kingdom is coming but we are receiving now to those who are looking past what is obviously the senses, what we hear, smell, see, feel, touch, things like that. When we are in faith and we are living according to the Spirit and trusting in the Lord, we are receiving a kingdom now. Faith is a now thing because of a past event that promises a great future right? Faith is a now thing. It's not, it's not, I believe this is going to happen later. Faith is what secures us now. It's a now thing because of a past event, the shed blood of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus, and it promises a greater future that we can go through like, like the one on the roller coaster. I mean, there's going to be darkness out there. Not everything's going to be smiley-smiley, but in your heart, you can have peace, you can have strength, you can have joy knowing that all things work together for good to those who love God and that we are receiving something and that that which is inside cannot be shaken, even though the outside might be shaking. But we are receiving something that's going to remain and not taken away. And, uh, and the shaking means that we have to have grace. It says, so let us have grace. That means we, we can be secure knowing the favor of God, that we are freed from the law. We know that he, his love doesn't shake. His love is, is strengthened and secure for us. And it says, by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. This isn't talking about the fear of going to Mount Sinai where there was terror. And Moses said, I'm exceedingly afraid. Reverence and godly fear is speaking about respect, worship, and awe. Godly fear. To know that he is shaking, but the things that can't be shaken will remain, and that we have grace because of what Jesus, and that our walk is with grace. We should have awe. If we can develop a sense of awe in our lives about the Lord, that propels us, that gives us hope, that we know that even this is a great situation, this is a great, terrible thing that's going on, and yet God is over and above it all, and he, he is the one that's keeping us, and 
awe comes forth. There is awe that we can understand that uh, he has has given us his presence. He has given us the gift of eternal life and that this isn't the end and that we have something greater to look forward to and that all of this thing is working towards a goal. And, And all he has is good in that goal for us. So the final thing says, let us serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear for our God is a consuming fire. Now, there's two ways of looking at our God is a consuming fire. Both ways are appropriate. But first, when we talk about God is a consuming fire, we're not talking about some kind of sentimental, flowery picture of God and, and uh, you know, Hallmark greeting cards. We're talking about this is the God that stormed down Mount Sinai. That was where they said he was a consuming fire. There's terror and there's, there's strength and there's awesome. There's, there's awe involved with the Lord of hosts. And in Deuteronomy 4.24, it says, For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. He hates sin. He's bringing a destructive end to all things sinful. That's what this shaking is all about. That's what the judge is coming to do. He's jealous. Why is he jealous? Because he wants better for us. He wants better for humanity. He hates what the devil has done. He hates what disobedience has brought forth. He hates sin, and he is coming. He is jealous to get things back in order, and he's a consuming fire. Have awe and serve him with reverence, and godly fear. But the other side to the coin is Exodus 24, verse 16 and 17 says, Now the glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days, and on the seventh day he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. The sight of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel. Here, a consuming fire is is the symbol of the sight of the glory of the Lord. We think of consuming fire only usually as that, oh, he's a jealous God and he's going to burn everything up. But here we're told that the fire represents his glory. So we serve God with reverence and godly fear because we see something glorious. There is something glorious about a consuming fire in the darkest night. There's something that fascinates us about fire. And fire will revitalize. Glory will revitalize us. If we can get a glimpse of the glory of God, it revitalizes us to walk and go forward in spite of all the contradictions out there and the opposition, temptations not to. But when we see the glory, when we understand how wonderful that is, it draws us. Just like a fire in the darkest night, the brightness will draw people. How many people have gone to a bonfire? There's something about gathering around the bonfire because we want to see the big, bright, shining light. In the wintertime, how many of you got a fire going in the fireplace? The, the heat of a fire revitalizes. It's like, oh, turn that thing on. Let's get warm again. There's something that you're stifled until that warmth comes back. You know, now it's winter. We can use this. And if this were summer, I'd bring air conditioning in. But he's not a consuming air conditioner. This is a consuming fire that brings heat, brightness, glory, and 
can we not catch some of that? Fire catches. Can that be caught? We can catch some of that fire where we can say, I'm, a, I'm jealous of the glory of God. Just as he's jealous, he's a jealous God. I'm going to be jealous with the fire, the heat, the blaze to live for him. And I want to be that fire that brings the brightness of his glory to the nations. This is our time. When the darkness is here, we can be the light shining. This is our time when things are shaking that we can be stable and be a, a signpost for those who are in need out there. This is our hour. We have a purpose. We don't have to just be holding on for dear life like the rest of the world. But it's easy to get into that unless we're adamant, diligent about who we are in Christ, what he's done, that the Savior is coming, that we have a new covenant, that we're accepted and given everything in him. In fact, we have a kingdom that he's given us. We are a kingdom of priests and kings, it says in Scripture. If we can get these things into our hearts, we can be strong and we can be ambassadors and we can say this could be the best time to be alive even now. When all things are, seem to be falling apart and going crazy, this can be our moment. This can be our moment to shine the light of Christ and to be a beacon, a, a signpost of stability for the world to see and for God to receive glory from when people hear what's this all about? What's really happening? What's Christmas all about? Here's what it's all about. What's going on in the world? Well, the Bible talks about this. This is our time. And I want to get to that place, if I'm not there already, I want to get to that place where saying, you know, times were much better, but this is the best time to be alive. I've heard a couple people say that in Mississippi, the last church I was at. They'd say, this is the best time to be alive. And I'd smile and agree, say, yeah, but inside I'm like, I don't know if I'm really there yet. <laughs> but I think it can be. And when I, when I consider this and how this book of Hebrews has been so relevant and pertinent to my own walk in these days and I think to all of us it should be to keep us on track and say hey this is just the way things are and and you're not in some strange boat this can be your moment but you have to repent that means you have to agree change your thinking and agree with what the word says and say I'm not just serving some fluffy pie in the sky thought about God I'm I'm serving a consuming fire, and that consuming fire is going to burn up all the dross, and it's going to bring a blaze of glory at the return of Jesus Christ, and when he returns, you too will appear with him in glory. So says the book of Colossians. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that you have given us a hope in these things, and that you are the victor. You are the ultimate. You are worthy, Lord, of all our praise. And I just thank you. I pray that anybody here needing revitalization, I pray you touch their hearts, make these things sink in and not be fallen by the wayside. Lord, that your spirit just move in our midst in greater measure in the days ahead that we may be uh, tuned in to your truth and the glory of it all as we, as we face the things that we face each day in the world. So I pray blessings on each person here, Lord, that this truth would grow and, and propel us to move forward and to move forward with joy as we celebrate joy today. In Jesus' name.